Hello, humans. All right, today's message, I never knew you. Now, many Muslims try to use this phrase from Jesus as some kind of gotcha phrase, as in, he's going to say this to Christians because they believed in him wrong. That's not at all what it means. In fact, a lot of Christians get this wrong, so we're going to talk about it. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. I'm going to read it, and then I will explain this. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay, so picture this. There is a homeless man, dirty and disheveled, and he pushes a shopping cart full of his belongings near the front entrance of a church building. Now this unclean and unkept man, he looks around, and seeing no one, well, he decides to sit down besides the cart for a moment of rest for his exhausted body. He's sitting in front of the church. He doesn't realize it's Sunday. Every day is the same to this guy. However, the homeless man's peaceful moment alone is soon disrupted by churchgoers who start to enter the church building. It's a Sunday. Church service is about to begin soon. Now, some of the churchgoers, they look at the homeless man, but then they enter inside the church and without even a second thought of the homeless man. Well, why should I help him? He refuses to help himself. Some churchgoers, however, they stop, they hesitate, contemplating whether or not they should say or do something. However, either fear or selfishness gets the best of them, and they also walk inside the church without helping the homeless man. Well, I don't want someone to take my favorite seat. If the homeless man is still there after I come out, then I'll help him. Hmm. But a small group of people at the distance in the parking lot, they actually witnessed the hesitant churchgoers, and they saw that they didn't help the homeless man. So when this small group arrives at the entrance of the church, a man in a suit steps toward the homeless man, and he gives him a handful of money. There you go. Now, moments later, another small group arrives. But this time, a 12-year-old girl approaches the homeless man. She bends down to his eye level. She looks at him straight in the eyes and says, Hi, hey, you can come inside if you want to. Hey, you can even sit next to us if you want to do that. Do you want to come inside? Hmm. Now, I want you to ponder. Who, in this story... Who loved the homeless man? Now, you might be tempted to say that both the man in the suit and the little girl loved the homeless man, right? However, what you don't know is that in this story, the motive of the man in the suit who gave the money, you don't know his motive, right? So, while the man in the suit was in the parking lot, Yes, it is true. He noticed uh, how some churchgoers, they hesitated, and then they walked inside without helping that homeless man. Now, the man in the suit thought to himself, Ha ha, 
this is a perfect opportunity for me to show everyone how great I am. And then everyone coming inside will see me. They will see me give that worthless guy some money and they will all see how giving I am. Especially that gorgeous woman over there. Oh, and then she'll probably want me. Thanks a lot, homeless guy. I've been trying to score with this chick for a long time. I think you're going to get me a date tonight. Hmm. The truth of this story is that the man in the suit sees the homeless man often in different places around town, and yet he never once cared to help him during those times that he had seen him. No, the man in the suit only helped the homeless man in front of the church because it was an opportune moment to make himself look good in the eyes of the people around him, especially that attractive female. In addition, the man in the suit, he made sure that the fistful of money that he gave him, it was only $1 bills, and he folded it in such a way as to give the appearance of it being such a generous gift, but it wasn't. The little girl, however, she genuinely loved the homeless man, and she even invited him inside the building as her honored guest. Now, though she did not give the homeless man money or food, her love was genuine and pure. So, go back to Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Now, this specific passage under examination, it needs to be understood in its proper context, which is actually Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through Matthew 7, 29. This is known as the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus gave the message on a hillside near Cabernet. In addition, we can actually find a parallel passage. It's in Luke 6, 20 to 49. When we study all scripture together, only then will the depth of this passage be revealed and rightly understood. First and foremost, it is important to understand who Jesus was teaching in these passages. Jesus was not preaching at unbelievers, Rather, Jesus was teaching to a general crowd of followers who are potential disciples and specific individuals whom Jesus chose to be his disciples. Jesus had just taught how his disciples must live according to a higher standard of righteousness than even the Pharisees. And he concluded by saying that they need to be perfect as their heavenly father is perfect. Jesus then went on to teach about not being hypocrites and acting out pious performances just to gain the approval of mere men. Now after that, Jesus taught them, no one can serve two masters. Therefore, God should be the only one that we truly serve. In fact, we are to rely solely upon God and not worry about the things of this world because God is our source and provider. Jesus then taught about self-examination and not being a hypocrite who unsuccessfully judges, uh, or I should say unnecessarily, unnecessarily and unsuccessfully judges his brothers. And then Jesus taught, they need to seek the Lord as children of the King, expecting the King to respond as a loving father. And then Jesus taught the golden rule. We need to love others as we would want to be loved ourselves. Now in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, 
we are told that the entrance to the kingdom of heaven is a small gate with a narrow entrance and only a few find it. However, the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many will enter through that gate. And John 14:6 informs us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through Jesus. He is the narrow entrance. In Matthew 7, 15 to 20, Jesus taught that false prophets will appear as sheep. They will actually be ravenous wolves within. And this is actually all throughout scripture. It teaches us about false prophets, false teachers. And for this very reason, it continues in this section. It talks about the tree will be known by its fruit because a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. And so now, now we finally arrive to the specific passage under examination, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And it is written that not everyone who acknowledges Jesus as Lord will enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of the Father. Okay, wait now. But how can someone acknowledge Jesus as Lord and still be denied entry? What? Okay, well, actually, the parable of the two sons that Jesus taught in Matthew 21, 28 to 32 this parable helps us understand the concept of doing the will of the Father. Now, one son refused to be obedient at first to his father, but then he, he later regretted his decision. He changed his mind. He repented, and then he did what the father asked him to do. The other son, however, told his father with mere lip service, oh, yes, he would do what the father asked him to do, but then he never did it. The difference is obedience. The evidence is in the fruit. Words are meaningless without the action which should accompany the words. The Lord desires us to live out his word, not just talk about it. What you do cannot be separated from what you believe. Now Jesus exposed those people who sounded religious yet they had no personal relationship with him. Now, a good, a good example of this can be seen in Matthew chapter 23, specifically verses 13 to 36, when Jesus publicly condemned the Pharisees for being hypocrites. The Pharisees proudly proclaimed themselves to be righteous men of God, yet they did not live in obedience, practicing what they preached. Rather, they lied, they cheated, stole, they had hatred in their hearts for people. Thus, someone who claims to be religious or righteous, yet acts wickedly, they will be the person to hear those words from Jesus. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, Let's go back to the Old Testament here to, to bring this into, into light. So, in Hosea chapter 8, Israel, the nation, not the, the person, Israel called out to the Lord as a last resort, only when it was too late, because the enemy had besieged them. The judgment was upon them. And they cried out, My God, we of Israel know you. 
Yet God describes in that same chapter how they transgressed his covenant. They rebelled against his law and they prioritized idols before God. They were Israel by name only. Their actions were that of the sinful wicked nations around them. So in Matthew 7:23, Jesus provides the reason for rejecting these people. He said they were workers of lawlessness, those who practice lawlessness. And that, that word lawlessness is the English translation of the Greek word anomia, which means a person of iniquity, a person who possesses no fixed moral standard. It is the wickedness of knowing the law, yet living contrary to the knowledge of the law. Now, according to Matthew 13, 41, these these are the unrighteous and evil terrors mixed up with all the righteous wheat who will get gathered, separated, and thrown into the fire. Okay, but wait, wait, wait. How can these people be wicked if they claimed to have prophesied in the name of Jesus, casted out demons in his name, and performed miracles in his name? I mean, after all, only a few verses earlier, isn't it written, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit? Okay, now to this apparent contradiction, it seems evident that the good that these people did, it was only superficial. Now, after all, listen, the Pharisees tithed, yet it's written that they neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, they looked good on the outside, yet they were full of robbery and self-indulgence. They were whitewashed tombs. They looked beautiful on the outside, yet they were dead inside, full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's what's written. They were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. There's that word again, anomia. They taught the right things, yet they lived wrong. In fact, it was for this reason Jesus told his disciples to do and observe what the Pharisees said, but not to do what they did, because they did not practice what they preached. And also, mighty works are not necessarily proof of the Father's will, since they can come from other sources other than God, including demons and human contrivance. Right? We see this throughout Scripture. In Exodus, the Pharaoh's sorcerers and magicians, they copied God's supernatural wonders. By the way, that's what the, the devil's tactic is. He copies what God does, flips it in reverse, and mocks it. And also we see in Revelation, in the end times, the Antichrist will deceive many with signs and wonders, even causing fire to fall from the sky. Okay, but the critic might contend here at this point. But in those examples... They did not do those things in the name of Jesus. True, and I will address that soon. First, listen, we must also remember it is written in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. Even if we speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but we do not have love, we have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If we have the gift of prophecy, we know all the mysteries and knowledge. And if we have all faith so as to remove mountains, but we do not have love, we are nothing. And even if we give all our possessions to feed the poor, and if we surrender our bodies to be burned, but we do not have love, it profits us nothing. In fact, 
The great commandment, as it is written in Matthew 22, 36-40, instructs us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, while also loving our neighbors as ourselves. Therefore, motive matters. Why you do what you do is even more important than what you do. In addition, listen, Mark 9, 38-40 reveals something quite interesting here. John reported to Jesus and told him that they saw a person casting out demons in his name and they tried to prevent him because that person was not a follower in their group. But Jesus said to John, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Thus, it is yet another example of how God uses all things for his glory, even if some people have wrong motives or evil intentions. Therefore, it is possible that God will allow people to perform signs and wonders in his name, even if they are not children of God, even if they're doing it with wrong motives. Why? Well, for one, well, now those people who are doing it, they are without excuse, and they will be held accountable for the truth that they know. But another reason is for the sake of the people who will witness the signs and wonders so that they might be saved. And finally, listen, the, the example of Judas Iscariot reveals that a mere proclamation of following Jesus does not always indicate a genuine relationship nor a truly repentant heart. In Luke 10, 17-20, Jesus sent out his 70 disciples, and they had been able to cast out demons. However, Jesus made it clear when they returned, they were not to rejoice that the spirits were subject to them, but that their names would be recorded in heaven. But did all of those disciples endure until the end and remain faithful? Or did some of them... As we read in John 6, 60-66, did some of them walk away like many others had done because they discovered that the cost of discipleship was too demanding? If any of them did walk away, they certainly would have heard those dreadful words of rejection from Jesus. I never knew you because no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul informs us in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 that we must run the race with endurance and live a disciplined life of obedience so that even though we preach to others, we will not be disqualified ourselves. Now, though it is written in Matthew 10, 32 that everyone who confesses Jesus before men will be graced with the Lord also confessing that person before the Father in heaven, it must be understood, listen, this is more than mere lip service, okay? Mere lip service will never be good enough if hearts are far away from the Lord. In Isaiah 29, 13, it is written, the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. In fact, Jesus quoted Isaiah 
when he rebuked the religious leaders in Mark 7, 6. He said, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In fact, it is written, every knee will bow to the Lord and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. But the confession at that time, it will be too late. Now, a lot of people quote Jesus saying those words, I never knew you. They quote this without examining the depth beyond the surface of those words. But keep reading from verse 23 to 24. Verse 24 begins with an important word, therefore. That's an important word because it is the continuation from verse 23 and the beginning of a solution to the presented problem. So what is this solution? Well, Jesus provides yet another parable. In this parable, two people build on two different foundations. The two lives that Jesus compares at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, they have several points in common. They both build, they both hear God's word, and they both experience the storm of life. I mean, after all, it is written, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. They both experience it. God does not show partiality in his judgment. However, in the parable, only one of the two is called wise and survives the storm. Listen, there is an eternity-sized difference between having a foundation on the rock, Christ-centered, kingdom-oriented, and building your life on sinking sand, the ways of the world. Now, in ancient Israel, numerous wadis, or dry gulches, in and around Israel made this parable particularly apt to those first century disciples, people who were uh, tempted to erect even temporary shelters in that flat, parched stream bed. They might find themselves swept away by flash floods that with a sudden downpour could create. Now, during the hot summer months, the, the sand around the Sea of Galilee, it was hard on the surface. But a wise builder knew he needed to dig several feet below the surface to the bedrock in order to establish the foundation for his home. <laughs> it is for this reason. In Luke 6:48, it says the wise person dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. In fact, Jesus is the rock. But listen, Jesus is not teaching salvation by works here because Matthew 7.23 stresses the need for a real relationship with him. In fact, the wise person who dug deep symbolizes depth in a relationship rather than a shallow and superficial one. The difference between the two in the parable here, it, it was not caused by ignorance. They both heard. But it was caused by one willfully ignoring what Jesus said and deliberately disobeying. 
The real difference between the two is that the wise person took action after hearing God's word. Greater than hearing or knowing God's word is actually living it out. In John 13, 17, Jesus said, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. In Romans 2.13, Paul said, For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. James 1.22, he said, But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. And he even goes on in the second chapter. James 2.14-20, he wrote, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, it is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Don't show me your faith without the works. I will show you my faith by my works. Oh, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It is for this reason Jesus explained the I never knew you rejection when he described the future separation from the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. I'm going to read verse 41 to 46. And Jesus said, Then he will also say to those on his left, those are the goats, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Listen, understand this. Even Satan knows God's word. Okay? But are you obedient to his word? Do you produce fruit? Listen, faith naturally produces fruit. It is written in 1 Samuel 15, 22, obedience is better than sacrifice, right? Samuel informed Saul, if he would have just been obedient, there would be no need for sacrifices. Relationship is greater than religious acts. And we see this all throughout scripture. The real question is this, do you only know of Jesus? Or do you truly know him as your Lord and Savior? In John chapter 8, the Pharisees, who claimed to be the most righteous, they questioned Jesus' identity. In response, Jesus told them 
in John 8:19, he said, you neither, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And a little later, same chapter, John 8, 41 to 47, the Pharisees claimed that God was their father. However, Jesus responded, but he, he informed them that they did not understand his word because their father was the devil. Listen, in stark contrast, in Matthew 16, 13 to 17, when Jesus asked his disciples who they say he is, Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There is an eternal-sized difference between knowing of Jesus and knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For it is written, even Jesus' brothers did not have faith in him during his ministry here on this earth. It was for this reason Jesus said, only those who do the will of the Father are true family members. If Jesus is Lord, you will live in obedience to his word. And it's not out of obligation, duty, it's not drudgery. No, you do this out from love with joy. Do you merely hear God's word? Or do you also take action from what you heard? It is written in Luke 6:46. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The truth is that the Lord knows his sheep and who belongs in his kingdom. Are you a child of the one true king? Are you one of the sheep? Will you be granted access into the kingdom? True family members have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love, and they have the mind of Christ. True family members do the will of the Father. So, when Jesus said that he will tell people, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, to whom was he referring? Who was he talking about? Everyone who is a Christian by name or association only. Those, those who are hypocrites, who do not faithfully live out the commandments of Christ. In Matthew 24, 45 to 51, Jesus warned us to remain righteous and to always be on the alert. He said, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, Ha <laughs> my master is not coming for a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour which he does not know will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Listen, Jesus warned us about false prophets and false teachers. Why? They speak only what the people want to hear. And Paul reiterates this about the, the last days. In 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. These false prophets, these false teachers, they seek praise from mere men in order to receive a reward on this earth. And to that, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. It is not that way with us. We know our treasure is in heaven. Listen, Jesus taught that motive matters. What motivates you? What motivated the hypocritical Pharisees? Money, power, position, titles, praise from people. They had hatred in their hearts for their neighbors, all while proclaiming to be representatives of God, who is love. God is love. Are you a hypocrite? Do you have hatred in your heart for others? Do you ever celebrate that someone will go to hell? No, may it never be that way. Do you boldly declare that someone is going to hell with hatred in your heart for them rather than actually praying for that person to repent and to be saved? Do you not realize it is written, God desires for all people to be saved? Or do you, do you actually have love for God and your neighbor just as the great commandment instructs us to have? Do you have hypocritical judgment? Do you condemn others even though you're guilty of the same sin or maybe even a greater sin? An example of this can be seen in condemning homosexuality, right? Homosexuals. Yet at the same time, what if the accuser is guilty of adultery on his wife. Now, Jesus condemns hypocrisy. Are you quiet about God's truth in order to appease the crowd? Do you minimize Christ's commands in order to glorify yourself? Jesus is more concerned about our walk than our talk, our mere lip service. We must do right, not merely say the right things publicly and then sin in private. In the name of Yeshua Christ Jesus, Lord God Almighty, please help us to heed your I never knew you warning. Please align our thoughts with your will. Help us to hate the evil sin that you hate, but to love the people that you love. Holy Spirit, convict us when we go astray. Bring us back to the way. Help us to remember that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Whenever we find ourselves seething in anger, righteous anger toward those who act wickedly, Please call to our remembrance. We need to pray that those people come to repentance so that they might be saved just as you desire them to be saved. 
because we know this battle is not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual warfare behind the scenes. Listen, may we never be like the hypocritical Pharisees who shut off the kingdom of heaven from people even though they did not even enter themselves, nor did they allow those who were entering to go in. Lord, you said they traveled around on sea and land to make one proselyte, only to make him twice as much of a son of a hell as they were. Lord, prevent us from ever becoming religious demons. You said that the Pharisees, they were faithful in pious performances, yet they neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Lord, prevent us from becoming religious demons who lack love. You said that they looked good on the outside, yet they were dead inside. Lord, I would rather be considered dead to this world and be resurrected to eternal life with you on the new earth under the new heavens. Lord, may we now and forever not simply honor you with mere lip service, but to have our hearts connected with your heart, to have our thoughts aligned with your will, and to be led by the Spirit, naturally producing fruit from faith, which is rooted in love. Lord, when you return, may you find us being faithful, loving those who need love the most. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your guidance as we endure until the end so that we may not hear, I never knew you, but so that we may hear, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen.